0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Tenacity, Strength, Fit for Duty podcast. I am your host, Larry Brown. My co-host, Vaughn teen is still fighting crime in the streets of Gotham City, uh, New York City, uh, as he is a detective. Uh, but I'm holding down the fort for right now. Uh, we should be back online here uh, within the next month or so, and we'll be going uh, from there with the dual anchor show. Uh, but until then, it's just me, and I'm glad to bring on part two of a conversation that I had with a uh, powerlifting uh, coach, John David Reynolds. John, how you doing this morning?
1: I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. Enjoying the day.
0: Good, good, good. I know it just started. Thank you for being so gracious, joining me on an early, early, uh, what's today, Wednesday morning?
1: It's oh.
0: Tuesday. No, it's, it's Wednesday. Is yes. it Tuesday? No, it is Tuesday. See, this is what happens when you know your off days are at the beginning of the week. Everything just kind of runs together from Saturday, so you just kind of like forget what day it is. Uh, But in any event, uh, also if anybody can hear uh, some Coco Melon or The Wiggles in the background, that's my son. So I do apologize if he starts screaming or singing along. Uh, I don't encourage it, but I don't restrict it either. So. There you go. But in any event, so where we left off at was, you know, powerlifting training and all that. So one thing that has transpired since our last conversation was that we had a couple of hybrid athletes turn professional at the USA Championships. Uh, for those that do not follow bodybuilding, the USAs is a pro qualifier put on by the National Physique Committee or the NPC for short. And it was Hunter Henderson and Ben Pollock, but um, otherwise known as PhD deadlift. Uh, What did you think about those results? And does it show how effective powerlifting is to help uh, potentiate gains in bodybuilding?
1: So um, I'm of the school of thought that if it makes muscle, it's going to get you where you want to be, period. Like if it don't make muscle, it don't make sense. That's my philosophy. I tell all my clients that. Um, and then when you really look back at the like beginning of strength sports and bodybuilding in the nineteen fifties and such like that, most of those guys, all those guys, actually did the big three lifts in some form or fashion because they didn't have all the machines. Um, so I've always felt that powerlifting and the powerlifting movements were great stating at stating what the foundation of a physique look like um when you come when you actually go over see because like after you get past that then all your accessories do is fill out the rest of your physique you know because like often like after a certain point it it becomes obvious what the powerlifter needs to work on you know bigger arms um pulling out your calves Getting those, get you know, getting the aesthetic part right, um, which was a big part of Ben's um, transition. Because if you look at all of his shows, like the first year he did, it, it was like, okay, arms really need to come up, need to add more details to his back, need to, you know, it was little things. So I always felt that it was actually kind of important to have some form of foundation in like the pilot movements, and then the stronger you got the better you can translate that intensity into your training. So
0: when we're talking prep for both, I want to take Ben Pollock's prep for the Pioneer Cup and the USA. Basically did two preps in one uh, because he's closing in on Pioneer, but he also prepped for the USA. What are some considerations that people need to take into account if they're going to do both? in a rather condensed period of time
1: so what i think what most because like most people sit there and feel like powerlifters are fat um and essentially a lot of them are because they don't take the time to put the discipline into their eating into the discipline into the discipline of actually following that program completely Um, you know, but if you're actually on top of what you're eating and eating properly, you'll find yourself healed better to perform better, which will get you a better total. And so the big part to me was watching, I thought it was more interesting that the bodybuilding show came before the uh, before the meat because of the diet differential. It would, it would probably be easier if you did the piloting show before. Um, but when you're doing it, one of the bigger things that I, to me that really matters is that, man, understanding your ability to train at a nutritional deficit. Now, when you're sitting up there, understand what your deficit is and then give yourself a lot of time to do it. Uh, you want to look at a long prep between like if you can give yourself 20, 24 weeks. Great. Um, and then watch how your body responds to your calories. Notice when notice when you need to add in a refeed or if you even need one. Don't sit there and think you need one just for, you know, you have to be really disciplined and mindful of what you're doing with your food. Um, and then the other part, and with that cardio and knowing is how much cardio is going to be enough and how much is going to be too, too little. Because in some cases, if you're already lean, if you're lean going into the prep, you're already in a good position. If you let yourself get way too far away from your diet, then expect the longer prep. Don't expect you to be able to go right into it. Uh, because the bigger that, the bigger that transition is, trying to get lean becomes really hard. You know, you can't, you can't actually take time off from, you can't take a big time off from the lean portion of like going into bodybuilding, period. Um, because of that, you know, you'll look at a lot of people and they, they just look fat. <laughs> it's like, you can't get the, you know, you can't get the definition, you can't get the shape, you can't get the, and the closer you can stay to your leanness, even when you're prepping for your, body, your, your powerlifting meat, then the better position you're gonna be in.
0: Is a bodybuilding show something you recommend to most powerlifters? Because I, I feel I tell everybody, like, you should definitely try to at least do one or at least a very, very serious recomp to find out what foods work with your body, what act- what supplements work with your body, what foods Uh That's something that I generally recommend to people, even if you don't step on stage. Is that something that you advise to clients at least to do once just to get a feel for how things work?
1: So actually, it's funny you would ask me that because I actually do something like that. Um, Generally, I would do I would do like an abbreviated prep phase where I try to get I tend to get my clients to do like a 16 week program where we focus on getting them in line with the nutrition cardio and getting all those things together and as we get them so that they can understand their body because the better they understand their body and the better i understand their body we can be on the same page throughout their training um and then we can all, it better allows me to be able to program or adjust something to say okay you know what this isn't working this is working and we're going to get you better results with a better understanding on your part, and on mine.
0: I'm sorry. I had to, I'm spaced out for a minute. Um, walk me through a typical powerlifting meat prep. And someone comes to you, and says, hey, about, say, about eight weeks out, I like to throw in a bodybuilding show. This person is not fat. Um, this person is actually have a decent a bit of muscle. They have some holes. Walk me through that.
1: OK, um, so about eight weeks out, my biggest concern right then would be uh, I would actually be looking at what their actual workload has been. Because I, I want to see how you're recovering from your training as it is. If you can, if you're sitting up there, if you can hit your, if you can hit your primary big lifts, and then you're still, you still got a decent amount of energy, then yeah. okay, I can see this possible. And then after I see that, then we're gonna start to try to fill those holes in. Um, once you start filling the holes in, we'll look at doing some, I wanna do some abbreviated sets um, at the end of the workouts where we look at, so like if it's arms, then I want you to do three to five warm-up sets real quick in succession try to keep them intense. And then we're going to go straight into, you know, you do your first working set. You'll be going for like 12, 10 to 12 reps. You can hit 12, go up and wait for the next set. And I want you to try to beat that number on the next set. Um, each one of them, I want to push that intensity. Um, and the whole idea would be to try to get them to force, to force extra activity without actually forcing them to overwork. Considering, because like, as they adjust, it kind of, to me, I prefer them to get an adjusted working period to where they can actually handle more sustained intensity on isolation movements. Because again, if you've been working, um, if you're working, especially if you're working toward a peak for powerlifting, a lot of times, a lot of your energy level is going to be diminished from your heavier lifts. And so if you're not used to going right into doing that heavy amount of accessory work, yeah, your, your performance on your accessories is just gonna be trash. Um, so the primary concern for me is gonna be making sure that you can go into those sessions, we can do that extra work with adding in the extra, reco- with adding in the extra work, then having the proper recovery in place for you to keep, be successful and grow. Um, then after that, we're gonna look at your diet, watch how you're responding, and then we'll adjust the uh, cardio amounts gradually and slowly. Like, I, like I'll i literally start somebody off with like 30, 30 to 40 minutes a day, four to five days a week, see how your body's responding, and then we'll go there week to week. I like doing weekly check-ins. Hell, if I'm being honest, I would do every third day if somebody came to me eight weeks out, um, because like, I really wanted to see how you're responding, how you're inflamed. If you get inflamed post workouts if you, whatever, I want to know what's going to be the best way to get you recovery as fast as possible so I can get the best look on stage. I don't want you going to stay stressed out and bloated.
0: You mentioned recovery. How do you monitor that? Do you use a device or is it just good old fashioned uh, client feedback coach assessment on their recovery and then take away or add volume, uh, depending upon
1: what feedback you get. Yep, Good old feedback. I want to see, are you sleeping? Do you, are you eating? Can you eat all your meals? Is eating a chore for you? Uh, how, how, how's your gut feeling? Are you getting bloated when you eat certain things? Are, like, I want to know what you're doing, how you're feeling. Um, are you doing, are you getting massages? Are you hitting the sauna? What are you doing for your recovery? And how are you doing it? And then also, what are you doing just for your extra work that, you know, what your need looks like? Are you getting extra steps in? Are you like I was training a guy uh who was a ER nurse? And so it was like, you know, his days were super so he hectic. He worked 12, 15 hour days, and then all of a sudden I have to sit up there and I'm like, all right, I want you to, I want you doing an hour of cardio, or I want you doing 45 minutes of cardio. It'd be two different things because like I would say, he found himself sleeping the entire day. <laughs> when he wasn't training and at work, he was asleep. Uh, so, you know, I just want to talk to you where you're at because of the better I can understand how your body's responding, the better I can sit up there and get, like I said, the ideal, the ideal position is to make sure your body isn't stressed out to where your body reflects the negative feedback loop.
0: So what do you think of a lot of the new school devices that's out like the whoop, the aura ring, does it does it aid or does it, is it kind of like a an expensive tool that's not really super needed at least from a powerlifting standpoint?
1: Okay, so I'm still a big nerd, so I'm all for data. I love information. Um, the more information I get, I like that exciting. I ask a lot of questions to my clients. Um, as far as training goes, I want to know. Hey how's this feeling? What does this look like? Are you doing this? You know, what did you make any adjustments on your own? What do you feel like? So I could see the, I could see how it could be helpful. I don't use them, but I I could see some benefits in them. I've actually got friends who use them. And I mean, another one, one school of thought that I could come up with, I really don't see a beginner needing it. But it could teach a beginner what actually training intensity looks like over time if they were uh, a person who learned with that kind of information. Um, Generally, I feel like it would be something that would actually work from a client to client basis, depending on the way they felt or looked at training. Not so much as a one-size-fits-all type tool. So mostly, I don't think it's really necessary. Um, There are plenty of ways to actually um, get proper feedback and get accurate feedback even without such devices. Let's
0: talk a little bit about general population strength training. So there's this, well, I shouldn't say there's this. There's always been this myth that, you know, lifting heavy weights as you get older in life is bad or lifting heavy weights in general is bad. It's going to make you bulky if you're a woman. Uh, it's going to slow you down if you're an athlete. Opinions and thoughts on why general population needs to be getting in the rack, getting on the bench, grabbing the heavier set of dumbbells as down
1: collecting dust. Okay. This is one of my favorite topics. Uh, I tell a lot of my clients are moms and I look at them and I, and When they ask me certain questions, I look at them and I say, all right, I have a question for you. When it comes to you being able to take care of your children, take care of your family, you wanna be ready, you wanna be able, you wanna be capable. If that is the case, why would you wanna be less than strong enough to do the job? Your goal every time you walk into the gym is to improve yourself. It is to see yourself get one step back. If you can get that little bit better, then you're a little bit better for your family. You're in a little bit better health. You're in a little bit better position to actually overcome whatever goals you have set in place for you, for your family, for the people that look up to you. You should never be sitting up there thinking, oh, well, I, I getting stronger. No, getting stronger helps you. Getting stronger builds strong bones. Getting stronger builds, builds a healthy heart. Getting stronger... Getting stronger enables you to be strong enough for life, because everything in life is going to put a challenge in front of you. Most of my, we talked about the two car accidents I've been. Without my strength, without my ability to do what I do, I do not survive those accidents. And then, more more importantly, I do not survive the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven operations. <laughs> and, and the doctor even said. I lose my legs. I lose like my neighbor was in the identical accident. I was in, in 2018, like almost identical, the direction where his, his truck, everything. However, he died. His dashboard got embedded into his chest. It caved in. His heart stopped. There is, there's a certain level of strength that comes internally and mentally with training all the time to get better. If you're always thinking to get better, then that's going to translate over into everything else in your life.
0: What does Mark Bell say? Strength is never a weakness.
1: Exactly. (laughs) I was actually thinking that,
0: you know, and I, it's, it's so, it's so funny. And I, I hope, I hope a lot of people that, that, uh, are my colleagues, or are my friends that aren't in the weight room. I want them to hear this, and I want them to internalize this. Your CrossFit style or off-brand CrossFit style of working out, your consistent cardio, your low weight, high rep training, you may think it's working. I assure you, it ain't doing jack shit. You have to have some type of plan in place that is that has variables, right? And when I say variables, meaning that you can measure the progress, that you can wave things up and down, like weight, that you can scale back things like the intensity, you know, stuff that you can actually measure, all right? Some things out here you can't measure. When you go, when you go to a cross, even when you go to a CrossFit box, there are some levels of measurement, right? Like, you know, the way the time that you're doing it at, because a lot of people go by CrossFit when they do CrossFit. They're training. For the games without actually participating in the games, you know what I mean? So they have to scale their training. It's not just more, 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 more. But from what I'm seeing, a lot of these a lot of these spots and I'm not going to mention no names, the shit ain't working.
1: I totally agree with that. Uh, what, what's funny to me about certain like CrossFit enthusiasts, that's what I call them, because they don't understand the variables. They don't understand the breaks. They don't understand the rest periods. Uh, it, the most important part, uh, getting ready for, for any strength event, any fitness event, is actually understanding how to properly peak for your your performance for the event. Mm -hmm. And most of the time people don't understand that. Like if you're like, just saying, I'm going to take 30 seconds break instead of a minute. That's an intensity variable or saying, Hey, I'm going to go. It's until I can get to the next exercise. That's my break. Like whatever, however you adjust these variables impacts it a lot. We're understanding that the day that you're doing cleans. Okay. What are you doing the day before? Can what you doing the day before impact your clean day, uh, or, or are you going to do are you going to do two training sessions that day? Why would you pick? Why do you pick the second set of exercise for the second group based off of what you did in the other one? You know, uh, different variables can interfere or interrupt the feedback loop of what you're trying to accomplish.
0: Let's talk. Uh you know, life outside the gym for a minute. Um, you know, this past this past couple of weeks has been really hard uh, for a lot of people um, that follow bodybuilding and even follow powerlifting because we all got something from them. Um, but you mentioned John Meadows, uh, you know, the mountain dog who recently passed away. Uh, he went full send on his coaching, his life and all that. And a lot of people read that and it was like, well, what the hell is full sin? Explain that philosophy, because you're not the only person who used that term. Uh, I've seen Liv Roth and Hunter Labrata use it numerous times, along with, uh, you know, trained by JP, Jordan Peters and uh, Dusty Hanshaw. Explain that full sin mentality and why everybody needs to use that mentality.
1: Uh, going full sand means putting it go all in. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna use John Meadows since that's what we're gonna start with. John decided he had a cush job as a, a corporate banker as a as a he had a nice banking job, and he said, "You know what? I want to be a bodybuilder." Like he it wasn't like he wasn't already training or wasn't already working out. He had been doing it all the time, but he decided, "Hey, I'm going all in on it." He had to go. He had, And then, like, he was sitting up there, like, under. he was afraid because, like, when you have a cush job, you know, you, have, you know when your check's coming in. You know when this is going to happen. But he went into a life where he had to, to answer those questions on a week-to-week basis on making sure that he could take care of his family and take care of everything that he had going on. And so it was everything went into getting his pro card. Everything went into getting – getting his clients better results everything went to and going full sand means you'd sit there you take that big bet and you put it on yourself and say I am going to go make it and the biggest part about that I, I actually started saying it because I wrestled um, in high school and that's when I first started saying it uh, It just means to throw them, throw everything you got just chunk them <laughs> but when I when I look at it, uh, in wrestling, we never stop. It's you know, you shoot a double, reshoot, you miss, reshoot, 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 go until you get them. The idea of wrestling is to impose your will on someone else, to impose your will on the situation. Um, and so, to me, it's very important that people, even whatever, whatever thing you decide to endeavor into, go full send into it, go all in on it. Go in and say, look, I am going to do this. You may fail, get up, do it again. I'm going to do this, fail, get up, do it again. I fail, do it again, fail, do it again. Eventually you will get the shot. There's there's no reason to sit there and think that, oh, well, it doesn't work. So I'm going to stop here. No, if it's something you truly want, you keep going. And oftentimes, a really good, simple, general population understanding of this is when you lose weight. People sit up there to go lose weight, and then it's like, I've been doing this for four weeks. My diet's not working. What's not working in your diet? It's not the diet. What are you doing? What are you missing? Where is it going wrong? What are you tracking? What lets you know what's going right, what's going wrong? If you can see everything. You can make sense of what's going right and wrong. You can eventually find what will make you successful. You full think- sin, most importantly, is about being consistent, and then ha- and just knowing, hey, I'm going to do this until I succeed.
0: Do you think that more people would benefit from going full sin in every aspect uh, aspect of their life because? what I, what I generally see is that we just kind of coast, we have periods of going uh, full sin, but then we have periods where we're just kind of coasting. Is it all in all the time or all in at short bursts and then periods of rest? Do you think people would do better if they did it like that? Or is it just 100% all of the
1: time? It's gotta be 100% all the time. And this is why, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything, period. Anything, when you really look at it, like right now, your son is right there, right? You you Do you go, are you a dad part-time? <laughs> like, do you, you sit up there, just about every decision you make after you had a child, Goes into like, hey, I have to be there for my kid. I have to make sure I have food, water, clothing, shelter, blah, blah, blah. Right. Then you also have to actually be present in the child's life. You have to be, you have to accommodate all this long list of things that come with being a parent. You do not get to say, oh, you know, I'm going to take time off from being a parent today. I'm not a parent today. I have no child. Well, if that's the case, then. Take one step back before that and look at the foundation of who you are, your character, Who, what makes you you. At any point, you take time off from something that you do that's within that realm of the, the, the scope of building the foundation of your character. All of a sudden, it only takes one time to go rob a bank and you become a bank robber. <laughs> like, it, it, there are a lot of things you do one time and that's exactly what you are. I had a um I had a drill instructor tell me you quit now, you're forever a quitter. You can't go back and say, I'm not a quitter. And no, you quit that one time. That was enough. There's no, there's no backing off or going, oh maybe. No, that was it. So you have to, when it comes to whatever you do, those things, that's your legacy. That's the story that's going to be told after you're gone those are the lives that you could have impacted or you didn't, because people will remember. Maybe that's not that big of a deal for you. But however, if you want to look at being, you want to sit there and be the person that sits there and complains online about something not going right or how life looks and blah, blah, blah. No, everybody's watching, everybody's paying attention to some degree. And you have the ability to make a change in the world that you want to see by being who you say you are every day when you look in the mirror.
0: What's the mentality that people need to have to become that champion, not just in powerlifting, not just in bodybuilding, but in life, because a lot of the things that you put out on your social media, um, it's pretty much life applicable, you know?
1: So for me, it's funny. I tell everybody that uh, out of everything I've done in my life, out of all my adventures and journeys, uh, the one thing I always counted on was being able to read for a barbell. I was always counting on being able to get stronger. If I couldn't get a barbell, I could do push-ups, I could do squats, I could do wall sits, sit-ups, V-ups. I could come up with something to get stronger. If you're sitting there, you look at life, you look at everything that, that you want, you have to understand it's a matter of being. You have to Be what you see yourself being. If you want to be a champion, be a champion. So if you're going to be a champion, then you have to do what champions do. You have to do all the aspects of training. You have to, you know, you have to be in charge of your sleep. You have to be in charge of this. You have to be in charge of saying, hey, I'm not going to go drinking. I'm not going to. Matter of fact, a really good example of that would be uh, Jordan Shallow, the muscle dog. Someone asked him recently, "Uh, what's your favorite alcohol? What do you drink? He said, I don't drink. I don't drink because that is against my goals. If if you can't sit there and understand that, then you might want to go back and to what I just said. His goals, he knows exactly what he wants to do. He knows what he wants to accomplish. And guess what? Anything that gets in the way of that, it will not be him. It will not be him impeding his greatness. So you have to understand, be, do, and have. If you be the person you want to be in the future right now, do what that person would be doing right now to get the things that they have in the future, then you will be a lot farther.
0: Who are some of your muses? Uh, and I, I say muse because I can't think of another synonym. synonym uh, in coaching. Like who are some of the guys that, you look up to, who you actively talk to uh, and that you borrow uh, different methods from.
1: Okay, so I'm going to kind of cheat this question because I actually just thought about this the other day. So when I was in fifth grade, the first autobiography I read was Vince Lombardi's book, Autobiography on His Life. And it actually told me I wanted to be a coach. Like, I've read coaching books since fifth grade. And I always thought it was so cool. um, The way that he had this simple philosophy. You know, everybody knew he was going to run the sweep. And he did it over and over again. And in that simplicity, he won seven championships. In fifth grade, I understood this stuff. I understood that simple one. And then, so that actually carried over into my coaching and then my philosophies on training and everything else that I did. Uh, so, when it came to, to like actually coaching as a power and so yeah, of course, um, I had a one training partner for a long time that followed John Meadows when I first started training him, training with him when I was in Sacramento. Uh, that's actually how I got introduced to John Meadows. Uh, And then another person I really like to look at, uh, of course, like everybody else, um, Louis Simmons or Charles Poloquin, those guys were early into the, when I was a kid, you know, reading magazines and reading books and watching VHS tapes (laughs) trying to see what they were doing. And then the, now it's like, uh, you know, sometimes I'll ask Dan Green different things because we both have very similar training philosophies. Um and we'll it it'll be interesting and like we may be we may do something that's slightly different rep ranges um for different intensity purposes. Uh, also, I also talk to Greg Penora all the time. Uh of course he's my piloting coach. So I enjoy talking to him because like he has very, again, it's a very s- simplistic approach to doing something sophisticated. Um so those are my two, those are the two people that I'm used, I muse off of a lot. Um, to keep me um, focused and into into a pilot and into training. Uh, then, when it comes to bodybuilding, Matt Jensen, uh, I really like watching what he does because again, it's very applicable, and he does a lot of things with with a lot of tracking, a lot of measurable variables, and understanding. Hey, am I getting further? Am I and again, he also believes in what I believe in, which you don't have to actually change our exercises every freaking week or every month or every, like, are you improving? Improve this, improve this, improve this. When you stop improving it, okay, we will look at doing something else. <laughs> when it stops working, go to something else. That's because that's the way I feel about accessory movements. Do them until they stop improving. When they stop improving, switch it. Um, so those are my, those are my big, oh, and then, you know, I have to go I'm talking to a Chicago guy. Uh, Ed Cohn, a lot of my, honestly, I and mean, I was actually talking to him about this recently. My first, the first training program I, I got was the one he did in Flex Magazine. I think I said that in the last episode. And um, so I will ask him questions when I get a chance, especially because he comes out here sometimes. Uh, or anytime I get to see him at a meet, I, I'll say, hey. I was doing this, I was thinking about this, and he'll he'll give me some feedback and we'll go back, bounce himself back and forth. Um, he easily one of my favorite people to talk to again, because it was like something. And then his coach, uh Marty Gallagher, I look at a lot of things that he did with different athletes, um, like Mike McDonald's and um uh, and then well, some of the research he did like with Mike McDonald and other athletes like that.
0: It's funny that it's funny that you bring up Ed Cone, right? So, you know, I'm desperately trying to get back home just to visit. Eventually, you know, live back there just for a period of time. Um side note, because I feel that I feel that my kids should have an inner city experience, right? Uh they should at least be spend a period of time within the city, um, and not a shitty part of the city. Like they should have a big city environment of which they can live in and which, you know, if we, me and my wife will protect them and guide them that they can thrive in. Right. Um, but I pulled out, speaking of Marty Gallagher, I pulled out the purposeful primitive book. Uh, I got that book when it first came out, you're familiar with that, aren't you?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So I have that book still, and it profiles two guys, one being Ed Cohn, the other one, uh, Kirk Karwoski. So I'm reading this book just to, you know, just kind of refresh and, you know, just look at different training methods that I may have forgotten about. And there's something to be said for simplicity. Going back to switching out exercises every week when you're trying to peak for a powerlifting meet, why do you think that people just have to do that. Why? Why is there not uh, looking at powerlifting training? Why isn't there any uh, perceived value in the power of simplicity?
1: Because people's brains respond to novelty. They want to believe that you know switching this up is going to change something. Uh, it'll, it'll get them a more uh, immediate gratification. You know, like when you switch exercises, you get a new soreness, you get a new pain. Oh, I must—it must be working. Oh, it must be changing something. It must be—and the the reality is this: if if you're sitting up there, if your main movements are improving, if you're hitting new numbers every week, and you're all of a sudden you're able to sit there and see those foundational, accessory movements improving. And translating over into bigger numbers in your primary list, then you are seeing success. And the other side of that, you aren't getting hurt. You, you aren't you aren't sitting up there experimenting with something new. But people want to, they want to enjoy the novelty of it. Um, and it's kind of funny. When you when you because when you look at a lot of the top lifters, even the west side guys, they have their favorite accessory movements that they just stick to and grind through. And so it always cracks me up when people say that. I'm like, no, if you just sit there and and you pick that that set of accessories and you see them improving, like Tate said, like when I saw my incline close grip going up, I saw my bench press go up.
0: Yeah, it's funny how people don't want to just stay with the same exercises. Now, I, I, I myself, I suffer from novelty brain, right? But in the end, what I have, so let me just kind of explain uh, for the people listening. Um, you should always have your main exercises that you do, that you try to progress on every week. I don't try to progress on every exercise. Frankly, at my age, I cannot, Period. Once you reach 40, it's very difficult to start progressing on a lot of the big movements. Now, there are some movements that I keep in there hammer strength incline press. That's the main movement I try to progress on. Any type of machine bench press, I try to progress on that. Leg press, I always try to progress on that. Hack squat, I try to progress on that. So I have these, I have one to two exercises that I really try to push, but the rest is filler to fill up the muscle with blood, round it out to prevent any injury. So you should definitely have those exercises that you progress on, but then there should be some other accessories that you use to just fill out. You know what I mean? And I think that will kind of alleviate some of the novelty brain that people suffer from, that they can, you know, they can focus on pushing exercises while at the same time, giving their body or their mind rather a stimulus
1: so it's funny you say that because like like i actually enjoy your program a lot um now but one thing that i think people also fail to understand about variables and novelty is that again you can look at improving an exercise without necessarily looking at improving the weight where you could actually go in and say oh well can I get 12 reps today? Can I only get 11? Uh, can I do this for two minutes? How many reps can I get in two minutes? How many reps can I get in five? You can do several things to challenge you and to push you through it. Or if you have a training partner, do force reps. Do and You could do different things to make those situations a little bit harder or to give yourself a little bit more um, novelty. <laughs> uh, uh, oftentimes, people lack the ability to be creative in their training. And to me, a big part of coaching is how to make one exercise variable without changing the exercise, just changing the variables within the exercise to make it effective, to give the, a new stimulus to the athlete.
0: What is, so someone doesn't want to pay you for a program. They're all like, you're full of shit. I don't believe you. But some of the advice you're giving is good. Who are some of your go-tos that you would advise that, okay, if you're not going to listen to me, maybe these guys can help you?
1: So it actually, so this depends on the person and what the reason is that they don't. I actually have a list of people I I will um, suggest people to. Um, One of them being, so it's kind of, I'm probably gonna, I'm probably gonna take some some flack for this, but people I enjoy actually working with, or that I know, um, we have Ashley, Um, Dr. Ashley, uh, the veggie lifter on IG. Uh, Danny LaMartina. Uh, And then I have, uh, who else? Uh, Roland, um, Ronald, Ronald Tarvin. Uh, He is what, Sir Jim Rat on IG. Uh, Also, another one of my favorite people, of course, Joe Sullivan. And then I got two more. Um, my other one is, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, um, Silva. Uh, I think you had him on your podcast.
0: Ryan. Ryan Silva. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Ryan Silva. I really like him. Me and him actually talk a lot. Uh, we talk We talk about three or four times a week uh, about training and different things like that. And then... Um, Well, those are my primary. Those are some of my favorite coaches right now. Uh, And there are a lot of – because, like, each one of us, we have a lot of crossover in what we do and how we do it. Um, And then Ashley, she even does – she's she's very – she does conjugate to – and she does a bunch of variable bodybuilding stuff, which I really like and I really enjoy. I really – to me, it's really kind of funny because I tell everybody programming is essentially the same. It's progressive overload to get you to an end result. How you get there, it could be any other map that we draw. Some, some people want a harder map. Some people want an easier map. Um, and then, like, you know, it's different, personalities, different personality types. Uh, and then, plus, just being able to see people work. Also, you know what? One other person I'll, I'll recommend would be uh, Tracy Perry out of Memphis. Uh, as a matter of fact, I actually sent my sister to him. <laughs> So, I mean, I can't get a better endorsement than that. I actually said my family members over Um yeah.
0: I think it speaks to a level of humility if you can, like I see a lot of coaches think that their, their advice is the end all be all, uh, but I remember not, I'd say about a couple of years ago or if more than a couple of years ago, uh, I uh, guy's sister Nino said he was working with a coach, and I, I believe I believe it was I believe it was Fockery, Mubarak at the time, and Fakri and him had a conversation after after a show, and it 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 was basically like I've taken you as far as I could take you. You need someone else, and you know I think guy. Be- I think both Guy and Fockery said that they uh, shed some tears over it uh, because that was a, they were a unit. They were a unit for a long time. Um, And then Guy went to Chris Aceto and, you know, got better and whatnot. Um, But I definitely think it's a level of humility that needs to be there to say, Hey, this, this is way above my knowledge base. And I don't think I can do this. And you know, I'm all for coaches saying, well, stick with me. Let's learn your body and go from there. But at some point, where does the line get drawn saying, hey, I this is above my wheelhouse? Because I tell people, like, I don't coach for powerlifting, right? I, I, I hate calling myself a coach. I don't advise for powerlifting, right? Because my best squat is 600. My best bench is 402. My best deadlift is about 630-something. So I can only get you to a certain level of strength, but I can't get you above that because I don't know how anything over 402 pounds feels.
1: So it's an interesting question. Um, You know what? You said two really important things to me in that. But the most important, and this is the one thing I truly believe, is that, like you said, guy, they were a unit like they work together they were entwined together if if you have that relationship with an athlete and then where the athlete is following your advice I like I, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the last podcast where if you're on the train and you're going to a destination you don't jump off the train and walk you don't go, jump off the train and go look for another ride to the destination you ride that train till you get there now, if you have an athlete that tends to jump off the train and then tries to come and run and catch his way back on to onto the, onto the, the caboose or whatever, then you know what? Obviously, that athlete never bought into the system anyway, or they don't buy into themselves. And in some cases, you can't get that to happen. Now. That's one part that I think coaches should consider is that you can, sometimes you have to let a a client go because that athlete keeps jumping off the train. If that athlete keeps jumping off the train, leave them off, lock the door. Um, And then in some cases there can be a chance where you get to know the athlete and then you see how they respond to what you're doing. And you know your style. You know what you do, what you believe in, what you'll test. Um, And sometimes, like right now, a big controversy is uh, diuretics and different parts of peaking and bodybuilding. Um, You know, maybe, and I hope some coaches will come to the realization of understanding that their own protocols and understand what they're doing. But a big deal to me is actually knowing, hey, I don't know exactly how to work with this particular client and passing it off and being able to respect and accept them. If you, if you can't, if you can't get them there with what you know, not what you assume or what you guess, what you know. If you you should have some basic principles before you know we talk talk about anabolics and drugs or anything like that, you should have basic principles that should get them to the end result that gets the train to the destination. If you can't do that, then yeah, it's time to pass it off.
0: Now devil's advocate.
1: What if
0: you feel like you can solve it, but you just need more time with the athlete, what conversation needs to
1: be had there? The conversation that you have to have at that point, it becomes, it is actually a two-fold conversation. The first part is is the athlete buying into the system? If the athlete is buying into the system and trusts you, then you can go, then you can go to the second part of the conversation. And that second part is understanding what is it the athlete feels they need for them to get to that next gear. Because oftentimes if you have an idea of where what where, where it needs to go it's now time to get the athlete's mindset to the point of going to that next level
0: because I see a lot of I see a lot of coach hopping right um, now there's just some guys that like okay we can't my knowledge base is my knowledge base is limited like and you you see a lot of these guys and you know, Their knowledge base is limited. But instead of just saying, hey, let me pass the baton, they're like, oh, well, I need to learn your body and I know this and I know this and I know this. I think it's okay to say, hey, I don't know this. I don't need your money that bad. Um, So I'm just going to pass off the baton. Do you think that humility and coaching is very important?
1: I 1000% believe that. Um, so I was actually having this conversation uh, at a pilot meeting me a couple of months ago, um, where I was talking about the fact that like, if a coach has never had a coach, they have no business coaching. If, if they don't understand what it takes to actually sit there and listen and actually practice discipline, it's hard for them to practice humility. They've never actually had taken the time to follow instructions themselves. So why should anybody else follow you? Um, and then the other part in that in that humility is the coaches should sit up there and be coachable. Coaches should be trying to learn, trying to educate themselves every day to get a little bit better. I know I'm a better coach than I was five years ago. I'm a better coach than I was 10 years ago. Um, And that's because I spent every day for the last 10 years trying to get better. And then the other part of that is when you recognize that you're trying to get better and you're trying to educate yourself and trying to get better at communicating, talking, uh, exchanging information, exchanging ideas with clients, exchanging ideas with other coaches, exchanging ideas with other people in other fields that can somehow help you be a better coach. Then and you understanding that, hey, I don't know this information. But I want to learn. The moment you stop saying I want to learn, you stop saying, I want to actually be a good coach. Because it's just like they're saying, rent's due every day. And if you're not sitting up there paying that rent, it's not gonna happen. You're 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 turning, you are moving into a lower income house as far as your coaching goes. And you shouldn't be trying to do that.
0: Is there value in self-coaching?
1: Yes. There is a value in self-coaching when you understand. and and I'm going to say something that's going to be a little odd, I guess. At least I even feel that it's odd. However, with self-coaching, you must understand when you're coaching, you're not coaching yourself. You have to understand that when you're coaching, you're coaching it as if you're talking to someone else. You're coaching in a sense that you wanna be able to explain what you're doing right now to a six-year-old. Oftentimes people sit up there and say, well, I know my body, I know my awareness. Okay, well, if you know your body, you know your awareness, I want you to be able to explain that in the simplest form possible to where you can make what you just did for yourself explainable, understandable, To help someone else. If you can't do that, then your self-coaching has become pointless.
0: Now, let's stay on the subject of self-coaching. It's one thing that I've always been infatuated with. Where do people go wrong with it? And in my opinion, the one thing that people do when they self-coach is to not surround themselves with, or let me rephrase it. The one thing that people do when they self-coach is to surround themselves with too many people with opinions. So I feel that if you're gonna do this thing, you should have one to two people that you can bounce ideas off of. And then in those idea bounces, there's a common thread and you go with that common thread like a Venn diagram, you know what I mean? There's something inside the middle that you can use.
1: So I know you remember this. When we had all the forums and everybody was on the forum talking about their bodybuilding workouts, their powerlifting workouts, and they're posted. And you always knew there was like one or two people that commented that you're like, okay, when they comment, I know I'm doing something right. But when they gave me this information, I know I'm doing something right. Um, a lot a lot was to be said for the advice we got back then and understanding we actually learned what, exactly what you're talking about and that we learned that it just took one or two people to, to sit there and say, well, I, I get what you're doing, but what do you think about this, or I've done something like that, but this is what I did differently. And because strength leaves clues, success leaves clues. And all programming is essentially the same thing. Is how you get to the end result, it's a little different, but it's essentially the same thing. It's progressive over low over time. So the like you said, there will be a commonality between what two people think. Especially if those two people have been successful at doing it. Now, the other part of that is don't get caught up listening to an idiot. And don't let that idiot be you. Because, you know, I'm sure you wrote this program before. We all, any of us that are true gym rats, we wrote this program before. You know, that program that's going to build the most muscle. The most muscle possible. It's going to make me the strongest person possible. And we put in this idea. We put in that idea. We came up with this drum set and this superset and this. Block. It's going to be. It's got the best exercise. It's got the. But the truth is, you can't recover from that shit. <laughs> we were all. We were all deep.
0: And I like the muscle rags. Don't get me wrong. I, I enjoyed the muscle magazine era, oddly to say it's it's not really existent anymore. Um but every I think everyone that's been involved in that in this thing we call bodybuilding powerlifting, um we all enjoyed that era, but the magazines fucked us up to quality programming so bad. I remember seeing (laughs) I remember seeing a back program. "Quote unquote," written by well, ghost written, uh, and it was ascribed to Paul Delette. And I'll never forget this workout. It it was a workout. It was four sets of pull downs, three sets of seated rows, and then like uh, two sets of close grip pull downs, or one set of close grip pull, or some some. It was like total sets nine sets and it was done one time a week and they made it into a five page article and i remember thinking to myself paul this is why your back sucks and whoever wrote this needs to be shot because this is some of the most poor advice i have ever read and i was like 14 15 at the time and knew that that was like total bullshit
1: (laughs) <laughs> what you said that and I immediately knew which article you we
0: were talking about. It was the it was the red and black uh font, right? Yep. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'll never forget it. It was a night, like this is how this is how impactful that article was to like, okay, some people do not need to be listened to. It was 1994 If I am correct, it had the Mr. Olympia results in that or it was a it was a article it was a magazine for the uh that pre that profiled the arnold classic winners because it was one of those weird it was one of those weird years I'm pretty sure it was they,
1: the Arnold it had the Arnold uh winners in it it was yes. The Arnold
0: <laughs> yes because they had to condense two issues into one yeah I remember that and I was like this is the most terribly written program article I have ever read. No, then, bro, you know,
1: the best part about the article, like, you know, like usually if they tell you do like two one set, whatever, any of that craziness. Usually it's like it'll they put the little asterisks in, warm up sets not included or, no, it, it had none of that. It, matter of fact, it did not explain why or any of that. It was just kind of like, look, this right here, this is the back program. You should really just hit this hard one time a week. What? <laughs>
0: Yes. And I always tell people like, like the muscle magazines were great, but if you were looking at them for actual information, um, it gave you, it gave you an okay starting point, but, and I don't think people understand how easy they have it right now. Like in my opinion, in my opinion, if you set out to get a pro card, right. If, you're, if your goal is to be the best bodybuilder you can be, if your goal is to be the best powerlifting you can be, you literally have the entire keys, you enti- the entire keys to the fucking kingdom, right? Because in no point in history have we had, and I'm just speaking overall, we have never had this much information accessible to us We have never had the amount of interaction that we've had. We've never had the amount of how easy it is to get somebody that's knowledgeable or even a professional to coach you. We've never had this, right? Never. So, the keys to the kingdom if you want to self coach, if you want to coach, if you want to build programs, if you want to write your own program, you have the keys to the kingdom in front of you in regards to being able to. Do that. So a lot of people that came up in this era, they should have no problem, no problem nailing a total. They should have no problem being hyper competitive on a local show, regional show, junior national show, national show, like all things being considered. We're not going to get into outside stress job. We're not going to get into that. all all things being equal, you should be able, you should be absolutely able to finish where you want to in any type of show.
1: I'm gonna add on to that. If we were actually to look at right now, we could actually say we are living in the library of Babylon as far as it comes to strength and like fitness. You have access to some of the the premier knowledge as it's been written in the history of strength sports.
0: And I don't I don't I don't want to cut you off. I don't want to cut you off. I want I want you to expand on that. So keep that thought process in mind. I want to bring up a, a very good point. A few years ago, I lost the book, I need to reorder it, but a few years ago, I ordered Super Training by Mel Siff. Do you know how hard it was to get a copy? A fucking super training in 1999, I went to Elite FTS, put in my debit card information and got it in three fucking weeks,
1: if that. So, because you <laughs> brought that up, so I wanted super training in like 2004, 2005. And I had, I had to, you know, back then you go onto the website, and you try to put it in your card, it kicks you off. Try to put it in the card, it kicks you off. Then they tell you send the money order to blah blah blah. Because even Amazon didn't have it at the time. And I actually, so I, I I went got a money order, had to go put that in the mail, send that off. You don't get a confirmation, you have to wait. <laughs> yep, so I get what you're saying. Like I said, you have right now, they have the ability, the capacity to get any information they could possibly want on getting stronger. And whether that be getting a coach, whether that be getting getting a book, getting a website, getting a membership. I mean, look, you have people like Joe Bennett and uh, uh, Jordan Peters with and and freaking uh, Lane Norton. All have you know apps and full-on things. Uh, uh, Chad Wesley Smith, the Juggernaut app. You can get full-on uh, so many of them. You could go and look right into them and get the information right there at your touch on your phone. So anybody says they can't, they're just full of it.
0: Yes, they're they're, ab- they're absolutely full of it. And a lot of people, and this is this is this is where I kind of. This is where I kind of, so not to diss coaching or anything like that, but as soon as people walk in, like I ha- I'm trying to verbalize it to where I don't sound like a complete hater, right? What kills me is that, so coaching, in my opinion, is an absolutely manufactured industry, right? It's been around for years, but it's been manufactured. When coaches say the first thing a beginner needs is a coach, or when a beginner walks in and say, well, I need a coach. What we've what you've absolutely done is that you've removed any type of autonomy or critical thinking from that person in regards to physique development. So do I think that everyone needs a coach? At the outset, no, you need some time to figure out things. You need time to read. Now, you can easily say, well, I don't have time. You know, I run two businesses. You know, I'm a full-time dad. I just need to be told what to do and I'll do it, okay? Okay, here's a problem with being told or, or saying, whatever I'll do, I'll do it. You'll end up in a situation like you have with a certain coach that is in some hot water right now for prescribing some things that should not have been prescribed, uh, to people, uh, who aren't doing too well right now, or who are not with us anymore. So you run into that and like, I get the rush to try to do things, but also at the same time, when you just walk into something and say, Hey, I need a coach who can coach me. You, you, you have removed, like I said, autonomy and critical thinking from you putting two and two together. Right. Because, again, the keys to the kingdom are in front of you. You should be able to figure out, hey, this isn't right. Or maybe, hey, I shouldn't be doing this.
1: All right. So to I'm going to take off and run with this. Uh, Another great powerlifting coach that I do refer people to, I just thought about this, Trevor Jaffe. Trevor is freaking phenomenal. Uh, Super intelligent, very, very well at explaining how to fix little things, uh, especially with technique and just getting, and being able to be a great communicator. But again, Trevor also did a lot of self-coaching and Trevor also has the ability, like me, like you, um, he was one of those people who when we didn't have stuff, we made it up. <laughs> um, we, we created it, you know, using cinder blocks or whatever. Uh, and that becomes very important in being able to understand how can I make this work. Now, with what you just said, I, uh, over the last couple of years, uh, since I've been working in gyms less and working hands-on with clients less, it's become one of those things that I've taken it upon myself to not allow my clients to not be creative themselves. Um, I will give you an exercise, but I will say, you know, but if they have this machine or they have this, or if you would like to try it this way, go for it. Let me know how you feel. Um, It's, I also agree. You don't need a coach to start out. You need to go screw up. You need to go find out why you need a coach. What is it you don't know? What did, what is it that when you read you don't understand? When you try it you don't feel right. Um, so I had this I had this woman who came to me and she asked me, "Do you train big girls?" And I was like, "Man, step right up and come to my let's do this." But she had this because like I trained a client for a bikini competition. Um, that was it was take me a friend of mine. And I was like, yeah, I got you. And so when she came to me, she she had already lost uh, a good 60 pounds by herself. She got down. And you know, she's actually one of those people that we look for in you. She's one of those people. She's, she's a woman that went in the gym overweight. She was 300 pounds. She lost 60 pounds by herself. And then she said, you know, I need a coach because I need to get a little bit better. I need to know what I don't know. And then her first question to me was, she says, I'm afraid of free weights. So I use all the machines and I don't actually know what to do. Although I can see the videos. I don't understand. Like if I do set to 10 to 12? When do I go up? What do I, how do I know? And like, really, she just needed me to reassure her that it was okay. You see what I'm saying? And sometimes like that may be what the coach, you, that's what you may need a coach to do. However, you shouldn't be told to like, actually just sit there and think for like, they're doing your thinking for you. I encourage people to ask me questions. I tell them, ask me questions whenever you want. I have one client, I actually had to have multiple Zoom calls with him to sit there and talk to him about the program and why we were doing every little step with diet, with nutrition. (laughs) Like he was like, he's like, man, look, I lost all this weight. I've done this, I've done this. And like, I'm just trying to be competitive in baseball. And I'm trying to, I'm also trying to get 15 miles in on my bike. And, and I'm like, cool. And like, I sat there, I walked him through it. And I explained exactly what the system was supposed to do and how he should feel. He got, he made it through the second, we started on the third week. And he come. he sent me a text message. He says, man, I'm not going to doubt anything you said anymore. He's like, he's like. I'm back at, he was like, my weight went crazy for a couple of days. He says, but now at the end of this week, I'm at the same weight I was a month ago and I'm eating almost 1200 calories more food. I'm training harder. I'm riding my bike faster. I'm averaging 15, almost 16 miles an hour. I was just hoping to get to 15. He was like, I don't understand how this just happening. And I said, just because you don't understand, that's why I want you to keep asking me questions. I'll explain each step to you and I'll do it until you get it. And then so you can repeat this without me. That's my job. I look for ways for people to get better and I want you to understand the system and how you can implement it yourself. But often, um, especially with the sad situation that you're talking about, it's, like when I looked at some of the things that were prescribed or suggested or improved on, I was like, I, 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 I was, honestly, I was heartbroken that somebody would sit there, especially when when you see multiple stories of people saying that certain protocols were shared. So, like, you have, like, 10, 15, 20 athletes doing this at one time. That That is not only, I mean, yeah, it takes away. Clients often come to you because they're looking for the guide. They're looking for, they're trusting you to be the GPS system to get them where they're going safely. I'll repeat that word, safely. That's what you're there for. That's that's actually the essential part of being a coach. The lady came to me at 240 pounds after losing 60 pounds. She, she didn't come to me because, you know, she, it was, She felt I could get her to lose another 40 pounds, another 50 pounds safely without being a detriment to herself. And as a coach, you should take that most important. Out of everything that you do, the goal is to guide them to somewhere safe. If you can't do that, stop coaching.
0: The funny thing is, is that people take the word safely and confuse it with slower, right? Um, Safely, in some instances, yes, uh, does does require a bit of a slower approach, but we're talking longevity, right? You want to be doing this for a long, long time. And not being competitive, but like at least staying in the gym, staying in the weight room, having that same passion for it that you had when you first stepped inside of it. Um, so, like, safely can mean slower, but also at the same time, it's vital, vital to being healthy and having some longevity that can equal the skin in the game. So, you probably in turn can start coaching people.
1: You know what? (laughs) I almost almost want to take offense to the slowly part. I'll tell you why. Because guess what? (laughs) Most of the times, if a coach is rushing you into a show or trying to get you there faster, that means they know, they don't know enough to do what it takes for you to look the way you should look the day the show happens. If you're trying to rush the result, if the coach is trying to rush the result, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing, and he's hoping, guessing, wishing, and waiting to see what happens. Because if, if, if you really think about it, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna use Chris Aceto because you know he's Chris Aceto. and everybody kind of knows some of the a lot of things that he does. I mean, it's not really hard to find. Uh, but think about him. He trained. Matter of fact, he trained Sean Roden uh, for his Olympia win, right? Because he coached Sean a little bit. Now, and I'm using this because when we look at Sean, Sean has Sean has a great structure. It's amazing, right? That like that's literally what kept him in the top three before he actually won. Now, did he sit up there and go? Oh, I need to you're taking somebody at their peak physical ability, and you're trying to do small changes to get them to go over the top, right? You're, you're, you're not looking to sit up there and go, oh, I'm gonna get you there faster because no, faster did not get you to the top three in the Olympics. I I don't I don't know any how many how many Olympias did Ronnie Coleman lose before he won one. Faster did not get you to the top. How many did Jay Culler lose before he actually won one? How many times did he get in second place? Uh matter of fact, Phil won the Army. He took what a year, year and a half off? It's like you don't you're not gonna sit there and sell me, you see somebody that's successful getting there faster. Nobody gets there faster. Um, big Ramy. Everybody, when he first came out, he was amazing, right? He was, he was supposed to be the next big thing. How long since he was called the next big thing did it take before he... How many Mr. Olympias were there before Mr. Olympia was Ronnie? <laughs> I, I <laughs> tell
0: I, I tell people, right, because, because everyone thought that the anabolic chicken in Kuwait was special. And I'm like, I, I told people, like, if he's going to win the Mr. Olympia, he's not a, a person that I would have picked to be Mr. Olympia, but that's just me. Um, you know, so be it. Um, but with him, he needed time to mature, right? And muscle maturity. Whether or not you agree with the term, whether or not you don't think it's backed up by any shit that's on PubMed or any type of study, there's a look that says this physique has been through the fire of hard training. It don't look like it's been through a Similac fucking bath. We've been doused. We, we, we've, uh, we've been put in the River Jordan, so to speak. To invoke some black spirituality here, we've been putting the River Jordan numerous times, right? Even though he was very developed and got a pro car relatively fast, it still took him time before we were able to say, "Okay, this dude deserves to be Mr. Olympia, real deal."
1: Exactly. <laughs> I. I, I um... So, to me, a coach that sit up there and tell you they're going to get you somewhere faster, they're selling you bullshit. The coach trying to get you that faster is selling you bullshit. Um, I tried to not cuss to that. But, uh, yeah, no. We're on a topic that bothers me. It's like you have to – if you can't sit there, look somebody in the face. No, matter of fact, if you can't look at their little kid in the face and tell their kid, that, hey, you're going to get their parents home stop doing what you're doing. Because you should be—that's your job as a coach. You should—you should be the stopgap between them and that crazy idea in their head that they should be Mr. Olympia this year. You should be the reality check. Like when you should be the person—you should be the person that tells them that they're fat. <laughs> you, if that's on you. You should be the person that says, "Okay, don't sit there and gas them up on being." Um, being something that they're not or getting somewhere that they're not going to be. Because if you're doing that, you're doing a disservice to the athlete, to the sport, and to people trying to actually get into the sport. Because people should know, hey, this took time. We earned it.
0: And then another thing about, about fast coaching, you see this in program hopping or not program hopping, I should say, coach hopping. That, yes, like people still coach, like people still athletes or go to different coaches because they feel that they can get there faster. Um, and this kind of contradicts what I said earlier. Um, figure out some shit before you jump. Right. Because if you just done one show or one meet with a with a uh, coach, then that's not enough time. You know, I kind of have the rule two to three shows. You should probably be able to figure out some shit by that second show. And then the third show, you should get the desired look that you're getting. Life events, you know, you know, that's going to happen if, you know, if you have a significant life event. okay, you may want to extend that timeline out. But, you know, I, I that's just where I'm coming from on the
1: subject. Okay, so another part, I don't know. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm one of the few people that's a little odd about this, but I feel like you should. Uh, you should program a private show. Program yourself to where, like, as a coach, I always like to get my clients to like at one point where I want to see what it looks like to have some improvement, and then what it looks like as I add on variables. So. If I, I want to have like a pre peak. I want to see what it looks like. So if I do like a, a full 20, 24-week program, you know, at the eight-week point, I want to see how you respond to like diving down a little bit. I want to see like just, you know, even if it's a short four, two to four-week period where we kind of make things a little tougher before we actually make things a little tougher, um, especially if I don't know you, if I'm getting to know you. Because after we've done it a few times, then I can actually say, oh, okay. You know, the last time we went through this peak, this didn't work out right. You know, last time when we were training like this, how does it feel compared to, you know? Um, it's 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 one thing to say when coaches say, I don't understand the athlete or, or, well, you know what? Part of doing, understanding the athlete is not throwing in a bunch of stuff that you can't understand and regulate. Don't keep, prescribing things that you don't understand how the person's body reacts to it. Um, don't ignore what they're telling you. Don't ignore that they're saying, hey, I got digestive issues. Hey, I'm, I'm bloating a lot. I, I am, I'm getting a lot of edema. I, my heart's racing. I hadn't slept in two days. Uh, I'm afraid to go to sleep. All those things are different signs or variables that you want to know, that you want to keep tra- tabs on, especially as it comes to, as you, like you said, we're dousing you in the river Jordan. We want to see when you're going, when you're going to reach out for help. You know, when is it, when is the water too deep? When do you need me to pull you back up because you're choking? As the person sitting up there dousing you, I need to be present and available to understand when to pull you out.
0: And you know, back to back to being back to being mature and having uh, that muscle maturity. And I'm gonna sound like a hater again, so forgive me. What are your opinions on low volume training for bodybuilding? Now, I will say it obviously has a role. I like it; it's cool. But to be a wholly low volume training throughout an entire career, I don't. I, I don't know. I think that volume training gives a different look to a physique that you won't necessarily get with just low volume training.
1: All right, so first and foremost, I like lifting heavy. It's no secret. However, I like volume. I want to do a lot of it. Um, I want to be able to train as often as I want to. Yeah, I know. Um, science says do three, four days. You know, old school uh, lifters did every other day training. Blah, blah, blah. I don't care. I know what I want to do. I want to train six days a week if I feel like it. Leave me alone. <laughs> uh, I highly feel that there is a place for volume. And, and part of that place is keeping you healthy. Um, it's keeping your joint, ligaments, and structure healthy. It's also getting the blood flow and getting the the adequate amount of movement in like we yeah, there's a there's a time and place to to, to stress the muscles and to, to force to force adaption. However, we get a lot of benefit from actually just moving just to get that blood flow going through the elbows, through the shoulders, through, through the hip, trying to keep all those things consistent, keep those movements up and present. Then we're able to actually not only better recover, but also better understand our bodies and how we respond. Um, you're not gonna you're not gonna see someone have a career like Dexter Jackson with a high tolerance of low volume training. It's not gonna happen that you competed for almost three decades. Uh, and you and there's a reason he, he was able to keep healthy and he made the adjustments, made the adaptions when he needed to. Uh, so I feel that low volume training has a place, especially early on in your career, but also you, you should also be looking at um, understanding how to have phases in your training where you can put the more volume in Um, How to put volume into your lower volume training in order for you to get better results, better recovery and just feel better.
0: All right. I think we've touched on a lot of training and a lot of, um, you know, how to structure things. But there's one thing that we've talked about several times. Um, So I definitely want to touch on it a little bit. Um, Being black in the fitness industry. Um. For the past couple of years, we've had a very interesting shift. Uh, one that I didn't really initially even think of. Right, um, we have a lot of. Uh, we've always had a. We've always had a varying. Uh, we've always had varying thought processes politically inside of bodybuilding and powerlifting, but they've gotten louder as the years went by. Uh, I did not realize how large of a right wing, extreme right wing, I should say, component inside of bodybuilding and powerlifting. And sometimes it can come off as very anti Black. What are some of the things that you have encountered in the industry or some of the things that you've observed inside the industry that's just made you say, this is bullshit?
1: First, we're going to throw in a disclaimer. I'm originally from Alabama. The first time I got caught the N-word, I was in second grade. (laughs) And I was told I couldn't play in the treehouse because I was one. Um, When it comes to these things, I always, um, I tell people, one of the first gyms I trained at, I had four Four known members of neo-Nazi and like white supremacist groups in the gym I trained at. We actually all trained at the same time. Um, and we kind of were training partners because like we unloaded them, like, you know, typical stuff that you see in like a piloting gym. Uh, so I kind of came into lifting that way because I was like what, 17, 18 years old, 19 years old, somewhere right in there, 17, 18, 19. Uh, but when it, so it was always kind of present for me especially in the beginning. Um, but one thing that I learned over time was uh, it's kind of like you just collect it unfortunately. Now, over the last few years, first the last five five years or so, five, six years, it's kind of funny where people will say things, especially since I came to California, because they're more open about being inclusive, it becomes even more apparent that they don't know how exclusive they are. And the fact that, like, they don't, to them, it's just this is what it is because you act that way or because you are from whatever stereotype they see on TV. Or in some cases, the lifestyles that they see certain people live around here, um, they've made these dedicated assumptions. Okay. And then you mix that with the, with the, the, the echo chamber of right-wing information and you use those two things together, you see a lot of people saying things that are a little um, obscure. I actually know a few, things, few people that have done some stuff that's a little out there um, that I don't support and I don't feel okay with, but you know, it's usually, I think the hardest part for me with all of that I have to say is the people who don't say anything when it happens or who allow it to be around them when it happens and then they want to report it to you and that makes no sense to me. You were there, you had the ability to have a voice and say, hey, that's not okay, stop. But instead you decided to bow your head, lower your head and come back and tell other people that so-and-so did something. I have a problem with that. Um, I think that if you're going to be in the fitness industry, if you're going to be into, you know, health, wellness, blah, 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 at the point of the point of incident, that's when you speak up. Don't don't come back and do it later. Um, I'm not going to, like I said, I'm, uh, there's a couple, There's one incident that comes to mind that we talked about, where somebody reposted an article, and they were they were really gun happy, saying that they were going to go and you know, put some holes in some dark people. <laughs> you know, they came and messed up their city, um, and and it was like to me, first of all, the fact that he was comfortable enough to say it. Second of all, the fact that people like came to his aid to be like, yeah, and agree with him. Uh, that bothered me. And like, yeah, so I absolutely have, I've even refused to quote the person even when they gave sound advice. I wouldn't found somebody else to say the same thing. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it. it's unfortunate, but it's what it is. And it's it's something that you really have to, you have to be mindful of of who you put spend time around and who you give energy and space to. And I've especially lately I've chosen, I'm like, I'm just not going to. I'm I don't I don't need the advice from these people. I can get it from somewhere else.
0: And then my last question how do we get more how do we get more black teens involved in bodybuilding and powerlifting?
1: So I was, I actually, I coached wrestling at an inner city school for a long time, for a couple of years. And one thing that I actually found was all the kids wanted to lift weight. Um, At the high school that I was at, they actually had a weightlifting class. And it was interesting that the class stayed packed and the kids actually stayed involved. I think it's really a bigger thing that we actually give them the opportunity. We have to make those opportunities visible. Um, One big thing that I know in inner cities, uh, both my, my sister is, she has a degree in social work, that's what she does. She's been in some of the worst, toughest environments I've ever heard from dealing with troubled kids who were sex offenders to violent offenders. Um, And with that, she always pointed out one thing to me that actually got me into helping more kids was the fact that like most of the time, the kids or the parents don't know certain programs even exist. They don't know certain opportunities are even available. Um, as black people, as a black community, we should be doing more to make those programs available, visible to inner city kids and to, to the black community. We should be sitting up there saying, hey, there, this program, making those programs visible and accessible, because if we did that, a lot of them will be wanting to do it. Because, and it's it's crazy, and it's really kind of funny, but when you actually look at social media, one good thing that actually came from it is that those kids see those things. You know, they see fitness, they see people, you know, with the bodies, with the shape, with, with you know, with all these different physical influences. Putting them in a situation where that right there becomes a little more attainable, makes it so it's something that they desire to do. And the best way you can even I can think about showing you that is look at how many kids you can find that got a mixtape. The reason they got a mixtape is because they saw so-and-so on the corner selling theirs. They know five people that made a mixtape. Well, guess what? If you know five people that can bench press two plates, you're gonna go try to bench two plates too. <laughs>
0: All right. That's all the time we have, uh, man. I appreciate you coming on board and uh, coming on board and helping us out with the podcast. Uh, always a good session with you. Uh, do you have any parting thoughts before uh, we get out of here?
1: Yeah. I'm on, I'm on part with my favorite thought is this. I want people to go out and be the version of you. That the child in you needed right now. Be that person. Be the person that you always needed when you were a child. Get the goals that you wanted. Go out there, dream big, chase it, and ascend yourself to transcend yourself to help other people. And remember, if it don't make muscle, it don't make sense. My name's John David Runs III You can find me at JD Reynolds3 on instagram send me a dm my DMs are always open
0: and with that another episode down again john we're going to have many more conversations but i appreciate you coming on board and uh giving us a talk and you know i consider you one of those coaches that a lot of people don't know about but need to know about so hopefully this gets you some more clients this gets you to change some more lives uh and hopefully, this leads you on the right direction to even more.
1: Thank you, sir. I appreciate it, and I look forward to our next conversations.
0: Absolutely. So, for Vaughn, the team, John, David Reynolds, this is Larry Brown. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you know, we'll be dropping some stuff on Spotify as soon as I can get that unscrewed up. And uh, thanks, guys, for supporting. We'll talk to you later.